Often, people will say comments in social media or throughout different media avenues about what the world needs, the changes it needs. Songs have been written about it, books written about it. You'll hear people today, especially with a lot of the violence that we see, a lot of the mass shootings, you'll hear comments from the likes of a Franklin Graham, which he is right when he says this, that it's not about just gun control, but it's about the need that we have for God to change our hearts and how America needs to turn back to God. And so you, you hear a lot of that conversation. And today, it, as we look at this text, I, I want us to begin really at the end of what we're going to look at in verse 16. Because I think verse 16 ultimately is what the world needs. It is the answer of the problems we see, the struggles we see in life and among us. In Paul's word here in 1 Corinthians 2, 16, he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? God is all wise, Scripture tells us. All wisdom is his. And who would instruct him, Paul says? No one, of course. We don't know the mind of God. And Paul even says, right, we can't know the mind of God. But then he says at the end of verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ. <laughs> and so there is an opportunity, a opportunity for us to know the mind of Jesus Christ, to know the mind of God, yet it's unknowing. And so here you see this tension in the text here. And I would say well, that's what the world needs. It's what Paul has found. It's what the apostles that he's mentioning here has found. It's what followers of Christ in Corinth has found. It's what followers of Christ in this room has found. It's the mind of Christ. But yet man, as we're going to learn today, cannot know the mind of Christ because we are natural. We'll find out what that means. We are not spiritual. And so something has to change for us to have the mind of Christ. Something has to change for us to willingly accept God's wisdom, his word, and his gospel. And so Paul today is going to talk about the mind of Christ. He's going to talk about technically what this looks like, how you get the mind of Christ. In other parts of Scripture, we see the mind of Christ talked about more practically, like in Philippians chapter 2, we, we see that, that to have the mind of Christ is to have the attitude of Jesus, to see the interest of others um, over our own and to care for others, how we view others. And so you see the practical side. Today is a little more technical, and we'll have some practices that we see kind of toward the end as we get to it today, but the mind of Christ. And so where do we begin today with the mind of Christ is the wisdom of God, kind of where we ended last week. And so by the way, 1 Corinthians, the first four chapters or so are, are doctrinally heavy, and there's a reason for that is because the church at Corinth has got away from the gospel. They've got a way of, of viewing things in life, viewing things in church life and in community, and, and viewing things in worship, viewing things uh, in marriage, uh, you name it, of their liberality, their freedoms. They got away from viewing things through the lens of the gospel, the wisdom of God, and instead started 
going back, reverting back to viewing things through human wisdom. And so Paul, in these first few chapters, goes back to what they should believe in, what they should be resting in, trusting in, holding on to, that they would have a life lived looking through the lens of the gospel and not through human wisdom. And so look at verse 6. We'll get out of the gates this morning. Look what he says here about this wisdom. And he says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. By the way, let me just pause for a second. Today's scripture is, is very... How should I put this? I, 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 here's, here's how I put it to myself all week. Hard. <laughs> Hard. Hard to understand. So if you're just listening, here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're just listening and hearing, and you may, be an, uh, you may learn that way, but I will say this. I learned that way, but I think today it'd be really good if, if you don't have Scripture in front of you, there's a Bible under the seat in front of you, to see it. Because if you're like me, and you hear it read, you're probably going to forget it in about two seconds, all right? And so, I mean, I know you're above average in every way, and you, you probably are better at hanging on to things, but I'm just kind of giving you some help, okay? <laughs> so verse 6, can I read it again to you? All right? It says this. Maybe it's just because I entered my 40s and I forget things. No? Okay, all right. Maybe because I have four kids and they make me forget things. I don't know. Okay, that's probably more like it. All right, just kidding. All right, so verse 6, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. So as we saw last week, there is a wisdom of this world that those in the church in Corinth were reverting back to, and then there's a wisdom of God. And so Paul declares that him and his fellow apostles are speaking the wisdom of God, which is not of this age and not of this world, and it does not come from man. Man is passing away, and, and what he spews out of his mouth as human wisdom is passing away, but not the wisdom of God. And so Paul, out of the gates this morning, says, I am speaking to the mature. The mature are Christians, those who are spiritual. He says, I am speaking to them this wisdom of God. I'm declaring the wisdom of God to them. And then look what he says in verse 7 through 9. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. That's a key phrase. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but just as it is written... Things which eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. And so let's step back a little bit. Let's break this up a little bit. What's he saying about this wisdom? He says it's a mystery. It's, it's hidden, okay? And so what, what is this mystery? Well, if we go back to last week, remember, it's the gospel. What's this wisdom? It's the gospel. It's the message of the cross. And so he's not speaking some new truth revelation. 
Okay? That's in addition to the gospel. He is simply talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he says here, this idea of it being a mystery or his hidden wisdom speaks to the fact that the gospel was not revealed until Christ came and, and he started to, to minister. He eventually died and, and rose again. That's the revelation that the Old Testament prophets talked about, but it wasn't understood. It wasn't clearly understood. And so now it's been revealed. He says about this wisdom that it was predestined. This wisdom was before, uh, before the ages by God. So that even means before creation. This was God's plan for salvation. Was the way of the wisdom of God, the message of the cross, the gospel. We read about that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5. It says, In other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed. He's speaking of the wisdom of God. In verse 8 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which was for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. And so it was unknown, but now it is being revealed. But it's not this new truth. It's not this some extra revelation to the gospel. It is the gospel. And so Paul says in verse 7, um, actually verse 8, he says the wisdom that he's talking about here, which none of the rulers of this age has understood, Stood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. So who, is the, who are these rulers who did not understand this wisdom? Paul would call them kind of like the intellectual trendsetters in his day. And he says here they're responsible for Jesus' death. They were, they were part of that group. In fact, the lack of understanding, which interesting here, this wisdom that was predestined, so was the lack of understanding, if you really think about it, and the rejection of that wisdom of God and Jesus. And so it was part of God's predestined plan for both his wisdom and also those who would not understand it, as that's how the crucifixion of Jesus came about. We read about that in Acts chapter 4, verse 25 through 28. Listen to what Luke says in Acts 4. He says about Christ and his crucifixion. He says, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David said this, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah or his Christ. For, verse 27, truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand, God's hand, and God's purpose predestined to occur. And so this wisdom that Paul is mentioning here, that the rulers of his age that crucified Jesus... He is saying that that was predestined by God, that this was God's plan before creation. And so this is God's way. It has been always. It's not some new truth Paul is speaking here. It is the gospel. Now, there's some definitions, I think, that come out of verse 7, 8, and 9 that are significant about the wisdom of God, how Paul viewed what was truly wise. 
And I think the first one is this. Paul would say the wisdom of God is Christ crucified and the proclaiming of that. That's wisdom. We saw that last week in chapter 1, verse 23 through 24. Paul said, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block to Gentiles, foolishness, but to those who are called. They're the mature mentioned in this text. They're the spiritual mentioned in this text. Both Jews and Greece, uh, Greeks, it is Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So the first way that God, uh, Paul sees wisdom is Christ crucified, right? And the proclamation of that, it's the gospel. So when you hear that, this wisdom, that's what Paul would say. Secondly, okay, it's the Bible. Real simple. You might be thinking, yeah, that's, isn't that always the answer in Sunday school? Jesus, God, and the Bible, right? Yes, <laughs> it's the Bible. Because look at verse 9 that we read. Paul quotes Isaiah 64, Isaiah 65 of old, and he says this, As it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. What reveals those things? The Bible. The Bible reveals those things that is spoken of in verse 9 that Paul is referring to. And so God, Paul would say this, the wisdom of God is the word of God. It's the message about Christ found in the word of God, the gospel. And I think also in this text, he would broaden that definition a little bit based on those two things. And he would say it's the revelation of also what is in store for believers now and in the age to come. And you might say, okay, well, where do you get all that in the text? Well, go back up to verse 7, because I find this little phrase key. He says, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages, listen to this, to our glory. I think that's key. There, there's a purpose to this wisdom, the message of the cross, the word of God. There's a purpose. And it's, Paul says it's to our glory. It's for our good. It's for our worth and our value. What is that? The gospel and the word of God is for our good, for our value and our worth. How? It changes us. And we're going to see more about that change later as we advance through this text this morning. But it changes us. This is how Paul wrote about it in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. He says this, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So where before we couldn't see, we couldn't hear all that God had prepared for all those who love him, but we were veiled to that. But now we behold all that the glory of God is in Jesus Christ. And then it says we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And so there's a goal to this wisdom. It's not more intellectualism. It's not being puffed up. The goal is that our lives would change. That's the end goal. Because remember, we don't have the mind of Christ. But that now we would have the mind of Christ. That our life would be changed from one degree of glory to the next. In the present and in the future. That we would continually be transformed by the gospel and the word of God. And so this wisdom is 
to our glory in that sense. That we would be changed. That's the goal. But how does that happen? Because Paul says we can't see it, hear it. It hasn't entered into our heart. We don't know what God has prepared for those who love him. But look at verse 10, because here is how this wisdom is revealed. He says, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. So some technical verses here. What's he saying? Look at verse 10. He says, for to us. So Paul's talking about him. He's talking about the apostles. He's talking about other believers. I believe in Corinth, believers here today even. He says, God revealed them through the Spirit. Okay? So what did he reveal? Verse 9. Verse 9. That which you didn't know before, you couldn't hear before, it didn't enter your heart, you didn't know what God had planned and prepared for those who love him, now you know it. You know the word of God. You know the gospel because why? It's been revealed. It's been illuminated by the Holy Spirit in your heart, in your mind, through the power of the Spirit. And what does he say about the Spirit here? The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. And so the Spirit does a work in our life. He, he changes us. The Spirit of God does. And then look at the next part it says about the Spirit of God in verse 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Here's the deal. As humans, okay, we know about human life. It's, it's what we know. We, we, we can know about the Cowboys today, right? We can know they're going to play. We can, we can know all we know about Ezekiel Elliott and you know, all his stuff. And we can know different thoughts and facts in human life. We can talk about things all the time, right? And Paul says that here. What's known to man Man knows. They talk about it. They know it. But Paul says, there's something more that God wants for us. Not just mere knowledge about the life of humanity and all those things and things to talk about the water cooler at businesses and jobs. But God wants us to know the thoughts of God. The thoughts of God. And he says here, in verse 12, even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. And so only the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God, but yet in this text, Paul says in verse 10, he has revealed them to us through the Spirit. So those who love him, according to verse 9, can know the things of God, the thoughts of God, the truth of God in his word. And then look at verse 12 through 13. The Holy Spirit has come. He has revealed this to us. And not only this, we have received it in verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is, in, uh, who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Well, technical again, Paul is. A lot of stuff there, but what does he say? He says, now we've received. What have we received as believers? Not the spirit of the world, 
he says, but the Spirit who is from God. We believe as church, we believe the Word of God speaks to this, that all believers, when they're saved, receive the Holy Spirit. This isn't just for some special group. Now, why was this significant in Paul's day? Well, what you're going to find in Paul's day, if you remember from the first few weeks, remember they grouped themselves up with like Apollos and, and Peter and, and Paul and, and, and Jesus, not Mary, but and Jesus. And so the group with, with Jesus, were grouping themselves with Jesus, you might sit there and say, those are the guys I want to be with. No, because what they thought is they had this super spiritual level and they were above everybody else. That isn't the spirit of Christ, right? That isn't the mind of Christ. And so you had a lot of this, you know, we're with this guy, we're teaming up with this guy, we're with this doctrine, we're with that, that doctrine, all these different things, and they were opposed to each other, but it was all about spiritual elitism. There was even this view, it was kind of a, a philosophy that was like a Hellenistic dualism. And what I mean by that is, is they believed, some of the Corinthians did, that they were angels, and the only thing they were um, lacking was the getting rid of their physical body. And so the dualism came in in this, that they believed that the non-material was spiritual. So that's why they wanted to get rid of their physical body. But they believed the, the physical, right, was evil and, and natural and not good. And so that was the human, some of the human wisdom that Paul was coming up against. And so he's saying right here, hey... We're not of the spirit of the world, but we have the spirit of God. That's what God gives to believers, not to a certain group of believers. It's like the whole debate today of you know, the receiving of the spirit versus baptism of the spirit. Scripture doesn't divide the two. They're the same if you look at Scripture. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the same thing that happens when one is saved. It's not something that comes later. And so Paul is dealing with those things. And so the doctrine that comes out of here is those who love Christ, those who believe in Christ, receive the Holy Spirit. And that's what we find in, in Romans 8. Paul said this, and I love this text. Verse 9, he says, however, you are not in the flesh, those who love Christ, but you are in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But in verse 10, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, Yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And Paul says right here, that's been his experience. That's been the experience of the believers in Corinth, that they have the Holy Spirit. And why do we receive the Holy Spirit? Listen to what he says in verse 13. Or verse 12, but the Spirit who is from God, why? So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. What do you think Paul's talking about? You, you read that. We've been given the Holy Spirit so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Think of, think of the things that God has freely given to those who love him. We have salvation, the gospel, so we may know those things. We may know the grace of God. 
I think in this context, and you'll see it as we move to verse 13, I think specifically what Paul has in mind here, which includes the gospel, salvation as well, and the Holy Spirit helps us understand, helps us know the Word of God, helps us know the Word of God. God has taken His Word and freely given it to us as a gift. And so look at verse 13 where it says, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom. So these words do not come from what man thinks, but in those taught by the Spirit, and here's where it gets a little technical, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And so what is that work? I believe what Paul is referring to here is the work of the Holy Spirit in the likes of a Paul, where the Spirit gives spiritual thoughts, combines them, he says right here, uh, he combines spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. What is that process? It's the writing, it's the, 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 the breathing out of God's word through men that God inspired. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it tells us that all scripture is, is inspired by God. It's literally the breath of God. And I think that that's what Paul has in mind here. Jesus told the enemy, Satan, when he was tempted in the wilderness, he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that we would see the word of God as life-giving. And so I think what we see right here is that. That's what God freely gives to us. And the process by which he did it was through the Spirit of God inspiring men, as we see throughout the word of God with thoughts and combining them together with spiritual words. And there you have what? The Bible, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit worked in that. And that is the wisdom of God. And then he jumps. He talks about two different types of people. And he says this, but a natural man, okay? If you go back up to verse 12, he says, now we have received this, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Paul's saying, that's my story. That's the story of the apostles. That's the story of believers. But in verse 14, a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised, examined. So who's the natural man? If you turn to Jude 19, uh, Jude needs some stage time. He doesn't get a lot of stage time, right? I love Jude. Short and sweet. Great stuff. But Jude 19 says this. They are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. That's who the natural man is. They don't know Christ as Savior because they have not accepted the things of the Spirit of God. What's the opposite of accepting? Rejecting. Okay. They've rejected the things of the Spirit of God, so they do not have the Holy Spirit, the natural man. Now, the Bible tells us this real quick. What we believe about man all right, is that Jeremiah 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's the condition of man outside of Christ. That's the condition of man before they come to Jesus. Romans 3, 9 through 11, all are under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for 
God. That's the natural man. And as natural, they cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God, it says in verse 14. So what is Paul referring to? What are the things of the Spirit of God? Because he says up in verse 14, they are foolishness to him. The things of the Spirit of God are foolish to the natural man. They cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Well, what did we learn last week? What was foolish? The message of the cross. Remember? And so those are the things of God. It's the message of cross. It's the wisdom of God. It's the word of God. It's foolishness to the natural man. They reject it. They reject it. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, you remember what Paul talked about? He talked about this. He said, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, it's been clearly revered, clearly seen, right? But yet, they rejected that knowledge. They rejected God, who was creator. And Romans 1 says, they are without excuse, because they knew this knowledge. Now the problem here with the message of the cross for the natural man is, is this. It's not an intellectual problem, right? But here's the problem. When you think about the word of the cross, when you think about the gospel, the word of God, and It's apex, I mean, the, the height of its story about Jesus dying on a cross and the resurrection. Here's the problem with the story of Jesus for the natural man and, and the crucifixion. It is the problem is not just Jesus' crucifixion. The problem is man's. That's the problem. That's the reason for the rejection. Because the story of the gospel is not just a savior being crucified, but men and women, women coming to the cross and being crucified. Paul said this in Galatians 6.14. He says, but may it never be that I would boast except in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me. So all the things that the world says I should go after, I should pursue, and I love, I'm dead to, is what Paul says. And I to the world. Paul sees himself, as he says in Galatians Chapter 220, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but the life I live now in the flesh is by the glory of Christ, is by Jesus. I live it for Jesus. He's the one living this life for me, so I'm crucified with Christ. See, the natural man views the removal, the devastation of self and pride as foolish. That's why he rejects the message of the cross. The reason they don't understand the things of the Spirit of God is because they are spiritually praised. They're examined. They're assessed. They're judged. You think about it, if you go and praise a house, what are you trying to do? You're trying to give it its true value, even though I think that system is a little jacked up today. But, but it tries. Oh, my goodness. So, um, but, but 
a pra- you're praising, you're, you're giving it its true value. And so the problem, again, is, is not more knowledge. The problem is moral, right? And the inability to assign the right value to things. And so as the natural man assesses the message of the cross, the gospel, he sees it as foolishness. And so the natural man is not able to see the things of the Spirit as valuable, the things of the gospel, the things of the Word of God. They're not able to see it as something worth loving and giving their life to. And so the natural man loves something um, that the gospel uh, does not love something that the gospel demands that that we give up. The natural man loves this. He loves his self-reliance. He loves his self-exaltation and thinks it's foolish to give those things up. And so when the natural man hears that I'm to give up the praise of man and to not boast in myself but to boast in Jesus, he's out. The natural man loves the exhilaration of accomplishing great things in reliance on himself. He loves the sense of self-esteem that he can get through the use of his own intelligence, talent, strength, or skills by doing things. And so faith in Christ is foolish to the natural man because of his love of self-determination and the sense of power, the sense of pride that come from it. While the essence of faith in Jesus Christ is saying, God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross, Jesus. And so when we see this about the natural man, the issue is pride. And the gospel comes in, the message of the cross comes in and devastates that. But look what Paul calls those who are changed by this gospel. Who see this gospel to their glory in the sense that it can change them. And it devastates their pride and they love it. Look what he says in verse 15. But he who is, spiritually, who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. So he who is spiritual. This is the opposite of the natural. Who are the spiritual? Well, if you go back to verse 10, it's those who have had revealed to them by the Spirit, the Word of God, and the Gospel. It's in verse 9. It's those who love him, those who have the Holy Spirit. Spirit. You go down to verse 12 where it says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is from God. That's the spiritual. Those who have received the Holy Spirit. And it also says here, not that those are, that those are the spiritual, but they also appraise all things. That they spiritually appraise all things. How do they look at things? They look at things and, and they, they think through, how would God do this? How would God respond to this? They look at things and and they see things in their true value, not through the, the, the value of the world, but their true value of saying, is that worth pursuing? Is that something I should give my priority and my things to, my my stuff to, my money to? I mean, all of those things. It affects all of life. And so they spiritually appraise things by the Holy Spirit. They don't regard the word of the cross as foolish, but instead they regard it as the most valuable word. And they live by it. 
They look through its lens for everything in life. But this is key. The first and most fundamental work of the Holy Spirit is this. In the life of one who is spiritual is this. It shatters pride. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He shatters pride. Because here's what happens. We realize our helplessness in depending on ourselves, And we see Christ as all-sufficient. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. It helps us appraise and examine things in life that we would do things and live in the way that God would live. And so what does this mean? What does this mean? I mean, like, you hear all this. I mean, there's a lot of doctrinal stuff here, and there's some, some great truths that we pull out of here, amazing truths that we pull out of here. But the question is, at the end of the day, so what? What does that, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? I think as a believer, as, as one who loves Christ, what this means for us is first and foremost, um, we've got to read the Word of God. Got to read the Word of God. And as we read the Word of God, I, I think what this text has done for me this week is my prayer is not just, Lord, as I read this Word, help me understand it. Now, I'm praying that, and I want that. I want understanding but I got to understand this, that my main goal when I walk away from reading the Word of God, that the goal of the Spirit, the goal of, of Christ, is not that I walk away and I just know what the Word of God said. I mean, that's important. But I don't think that's just the work of the Spirit. I think that's part of what God's called us to and to be disciplined in reading the Word of God. So first of all, you've got to be disciplined in studying and reading the Word of God. Don't just think, well, I'm going to open up the Word of God and that, Holy Spirit, come on, dude, help me understand this, right? Don't call him dude, all right? <laughs> Sorry. But, but I, I think we have to be careful with that because we have to be, we're called to be disciplined in things. And, and so we got to be disciplined in reading the Word of God so we know the Word of God but I think here's the goal, and I think this is what Paul is saying here. Here's the goal for those who love Christ and are, are spiritual or are mature. That's what Paul calls them. They're Christians. The goal in our discipline in reading and, and our prayer should be this, Holy Spirit, as I read the word of God, help me to love the message of the cross more. Help me to love the gospel. Help me to see everything through life today through the lens of the gospel. And I, as I read this scripture, God, devastate pride in me today. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, I die daily. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit helps us to do because our flesh wants to live daily and the goal of the Holy Spirit the goal of the word of God the goal of the gospel is that we would die to the flesh daily and so I think that's what we're praying when we read the word of God 
Help me not to be self-reliant today. Help me not to be just about my, help me not to be about my self-exaltation today. Help me to boast in Jesus Christ today. That is what the Holy Spirit wants to do through the word of God in our life each day. And so I think that's our prayer. May it never be, as Paul says, Galatians 6.14, that I would boast except in the Lord Jesus Christ through which the Lord has been, world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So God, as I read the word today, may pride die. May pride die. And so that we would have the mind of Christ. That's what we need. It's a love for the gospel. It's a denying of self. Luke 9.23, Jesus says, if you want to come after me, you've got to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. We've got to read the word of God, not just to know what it says, but that we would appraise things for their true value, and the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. And that we would not live for self, that would not be about pride, but that we would boast in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the mind of Christ. Let me pray today, okay? As we pray, and if you're here today, and and you hear just some clear truth, maybe you're here today, and you can say, you know what, I'm 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 a natural man, and you know what we. There are people in this room who have had to confess that. I mean, that's part of the gospel story is that that's who we are. That's why we need the gospel. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, I'm the natural man. I, I do not have the spirit of Christ in me. I don't have the Holy Spirit. Um. Man, if that's where you're at today, I want to encourage you because here's what Scripture calls us to do. In light of that, the scripture calls us to, to turn from ourself, to turn from our self-reliance and to turn to Christ and to believe in the work of Jesus Christ at the cross and to believe that, that he is Lord and to now call on the name of the Lord and to call on him to save you and to recognize that his work on the cross is the only thing that can do that. And you believe in that, you trust in that, and you confess that to him. The Bible says when you do that, you're saved. So if you're here today, let me plead with you, let me encourage you and exhort you to, to, to follow the Lord, to take this text seriously. And when that happens, what's amazing about the work of the Holy Spirit, he comes into your life, and you go from being that who is natural, who is dependent on the spirit of this world, to now one who has changed, who has the Holy Spirit and begins to walk with the Lord. That's what God wants to do. So if you're here today and, and that's where you are, man, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love for not, this not just to be a, an end to the service and an end to what you're dealing with, but, but, but a beginning for you that we could talk with you and walk with you and what God's doing in your heart and life. And so we have an elder and his wife over here, Jerry and Diana. They would love to talk to you, pray with you. I would. There's others in here uh, during this time, even after the service. We don't want this just to be something you learned, you thought about, but something that 
He really took serious saying, you know what, this, this is life and death stuff. This is eternal life and death stuff. And I want to talk about it. I want to come to know Christ. Man, that'd be huge today. So let me pray.